back and it's time of course we're going to do a lot of closing out stuff over the next several days as we wrap up 2020 and for millions of canadians that can't happen fast enough and one of the things that we're going to take a look at in fact right now is some of the top entertainment uh, quotient uh, stuff that offered up the movies that we saw in 2020 although frankly not very many of us went to the theater mostly because well we couldn't go so we've had an odd year we had a great year for networks streaming services, but an odd year, certainly for Hollywood movie producers. Here to take a look at 2020 on the big screen is Steve Stebbing. Steve's a movie connoisseur and a critic. You can find him on Twitter at the Steve-O Dead. Steve's in Penticton. Good morning. Good morning, Serling. How are you? I am fine, thanks. Love the Twitter handle. It just cracks Thank me you. right up. <laughs> so, uh, just a totally weird movie year, though, Steve. How many movies did you actually see so far this year in a cinema? Oh, boy, in a cinema. Uh, the last thing I saw was in March. Would have been, uh, unfortunately, it would have been Vin Diesel's Bloodshot. Uh, so, I, at that point, maybe 10, 15 movies at that point in theaters. So, yeah, very low compared to other years, which, which you know, would probably crest on 80 or 90. Sure, of course, yeah. But you didn't even yeah. find your way to get to, to, to a big screen for Tenet then? No, no. I was, I was still a little wary about being, being in a theater at sure. that point. Yep. I, I think it was ill-advised for Warner Brothers to try to reboot people into theaters uh, and it didn't work out for them. I mean, they only made 10 million in the first weekend, which for a film of that size and stature is uh, not good. Yeah. And, and all I've heard, and I know it's not on your list, but all I've heard about Tenet is that it's really interesting and you really, and, and you really need to see it on the big screen and Steve, you really need to see it twice. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's what I'm, I've been told. Yeah. I'm very happy that Warner Brothers sent me the Blu-ray so I could unpack it a bit more because yeah, my first viewing of it was a lot of, huh? Oh, okay. So what, What's happening here? Are they forward in time? Are they backwards in time? What's going on here? Exactly, yeah. So let's take a look at the movies you did see, and then we'll talk about streaming services a little later on. But we've got, we've got 10 films to go through. Mike has a few clips in the control room. So let's, uh, let's go through the list, starting from number 10 all the way up to 1. And you have a movie called Possessor at number 10. Tell us about it. I don't know it. Yeah, this is uh, this comes from uh, Brandon Cronenberg, who is the son of David Cronenberg, one of uh, uh, Canada's greatest directorial exports. Uh, and basically, this is uh, set in the future, and it follows an assassin who plugs herself into the brains of uh, willing participants who kind of act like drones for her as they carry out the, the mission. But she's been slowly splintering in her in her mind as uh, as uh, more kills crop up in her brain until she comes across a subject that isn't really willing to go into drone mode for her changing everything. And this movie is totally messed up. It's beautiful to look at. It is incredibly gory going into that body horror type of stuff, but it's just absolutely mesmerizing. So the Cronenberg family has this gene for strange but compelling movies, it seems. Yes, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree at all. Uh, but it's uh, he does kind of carve out his own side within the Cronenberg name, and this is only his second film, so I'm excited to see what he does next. Wow, that's uh, if it's that uh, that strong a, a second outing, that that bodes well. How old is uh, is young Mr. Cronenberg? Do you know, Steve? Uh, I think he's in his. 
thirties. Okay. Like he's still he's still pretty young. Uh, so I mean, he does have a, a wide out future in front of him, and uh, he's an exciting new voice for sure. Indeed, number nine on the Steve Stebbings top t- um, films of 2020 is a movie called Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, take us through that one, Steve. Yeah, uh, and this is, uh, I mean, this one's a one that's going to play uh, a lot of an emotional drama and the very human grounded drama because it follows uh, two teen girls from uh, Pennsylvania that make uh, kind of a, a trip to uh, New York to, uh, to get rid of uh, an unwanted pregnancy. Uh, and it is a very somber trip, uh, very character-driven, and kind of uh, gets into the psyche of, of this main character. And, I mean, this is a, a film that's not going to have any kind of broad appeal to it. It is uh, one that you have to dig around for, but it's, uh, I, I mean, it, it really rocked a lot of film festivals. Remember those when we had those? Oh, film festivals, uh, yes. Right? A distant, uh, and- fond memory. Exactly. One that I, I, I just look back with so much love. But, uh, I mean, this is one of those festival favorites uh, that should be on more top ten lists, honestly, because it is just such a compelling drama. Is it uh, likely? Because some of those, uh, and we remember the festival circuit, in fact, that's how a lot of uh, young mm. filmmakers uh, initially launched their material and got noticed. They won award yeah. after award uh, in the same year, and all of a sudden, have you heard about this? Well, look at this. Yeah. And, and yeah, that, exactly. that, that vehicle is temporarily parked. Uh, yeah. But this is, is this festival-type material also translatable as Oscar material? I think so. I, I really think that the pandemic kind of crushed um, it, it, its hopes because uh, it did have to kind of uh, recalibrate to a VOD rather than getting any sort of limited theater run, at least here in Canada. Uh, so that definitely squashes it in the minds of the, the regular audience, the mainstream audience. Mm-hmm. But uh, the great thing is if you are in like kind of the broadcast film uh, critics association, everything, uh, I mean, we get screeners all the time. So our opinions do kind of matter towards, you know, Golden Globes, uh, Oscar hopefuls, all that kind of stuff. So there is still that light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, interesting stuff. Uh, let's move on. Uh, movie number eight on Steve's top ten is She Dies Tomorrow. And Mike, if you got a clip, let's play that. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday I just thought for a second when the lights went out that that was it. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my, Steve. Uh, yeah. Some birthday party. Absolutely. And uh, this plays into a, a, a subgenre in horror that I call anxiety horror that kind of plays on that foreboding unknown uh, that that uh, is cropped up in films like uh, Hereditary or Midsommar, where uh, it's just it gives the audience like this infused feeling uh, of uneasiness. And that's really what is the heart of this one, because it follows uh, the main character who believes that uh, she's going to die the next day 
And it is an, uh, uh, just an unfamiliar feeling, the one that she can't shake, and one that's actually contagious because a friend comes over to visit her and leaves with that same foreboding family, uh, feeling, goes to a birthday party, uh, and ends up imparting that same feeling on everybody. So it's kind of like a contagion movie at the same time. But uh, be forewarned, this movie is very much uh, an art house piece, uh, and I think that's where it landed with me so well. And it's not straightforward horror. So if you're like, I don't like horror movies, I don't like gory movies, yeah. you can still watch She Dies Tomorrow and still come out unscathed. Okay. So the big question is, does it become a self-fulfilling prophecy? No spoiling here now. Uh, uh, yeah, mo- that, Sterling, I, I, I try to avoid that one. Uh, I know. Uh, number, <laughs> number seven, Steve, on your list is a remake of a movie that, as I recall, was done originally in the 1950s. It's The Invisible Man. Yeah. Oh, boy. This movie, uh, this is one of those, because this is what was an early uh, uh, theater experience because it did, did come out before the pandemic. Right, hit. yeah. And this was a really great movie to see with an audience because there are some points in this movie that has reveals where I audibly heard, heard people go, oh my God. And, and that's kind of stuff like that that makes you miss the theaters. But uh, writer-director Lee Winnell has reinvented this Invisible Man story uh, to be a story of an abusive relationship, of gaslighting, of uh, making somebody sound insane when they're really telling the truth. And Elizabeth Moss, uh, who has astounded us all in Mad Men and The Handmaid's Tale, does it again in this movie. Uh, and uh, this, this should still be one of the most talked about suspense thrillers of the year. Interesting. And I was way off, by the way, the, the original Invisible Man, 1933, Steve. That's so, right, Claude Rains. Uh, that's right, and and a great, great movie too. I was just a little off on my timing. Uh, before the break, <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, take a look, a uh, listen at least, Mike, to movie number six on Steve's list: The Trial of the Chicago Seven. We've dealt with jury tampering, wiretapping, a defendant that was literally gagged. Get your hands off me. This is a fascinating story, and it's real life. This is based on a very real I- event, Steve, the, the trial of the group of, of uh, rowdies that disrupted the Democratic National Convention in Chicago in 1968. The trial took place the following year. I was in mm-hmm. Chicago that summer. I was advised wow. a pretty hairy young guy, and I was advised not to go out on the streets <laughs> in certain districts because there was a lot of anger in Chicago in 1969 mm-hmm. during this trial. What did you think of the movie? I absolutely loved it. Uh, I mean, it is just uh, hits on all cylinders with a, a great script and direction from Aaron Sorkin, who's known for the newsroom, uh, the West Wing, mm-hmm. and many, many other things. Uh, and this, the cast is absolutely impeccable. I mean, you got multiple Academy Award winners in there, Mark Rylance, uh, Eddie Redmayne, uh, Frank Langella's in there. Uh, and it's just such a, such a well-put-together film that's uh, like sardonically funny, at the same time, because this trial was absolutely insane. And even if you go back and look at the transcripts, it is just as insane as what you're seeing on screen. Indeed. And Abby Hoffman, one of the lead characters, mm-hmm. and, and not afraid of too many people in those days. Absolutely. And, I mean, played to a T by Sasha Baron Cohen. Like, played so well. He might be the standout of this movie. Now, does that have Oscar potential? I think it really does. I, I think it does for, for scripting, for sure, because it's one of the strongest scripts I've seen this year. Uh, direction? Yeah, I, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of heavyweights this year. Uh, I mean, especially when you move up my list here. 
But Sorkin does have a chance to get that kind of dark horse nomination. Uh, but yeah, I think Sasha Baron Cohen is the standout. Uh, maybe Jeremy Strong as well, who plays his partner, Jerry. I'm spacing on the name right now, but uh, he, he's like kind of his best friend and main confidant. Uh, Jeremy Strong will probably get a nomination as well, uh, both in supporting uh, roles, because a lot of the film, all the actors feel very supporting in it. Like, I can't really say who's the clear lead actor of this film. We went through the first five, and now we're at number six. And is this the, I'm sorry, number five, and is this the new Disney animated film that we're seeing ads for during the hockey games? We're talking soul here, Steve. Yes, that's the same one. Okay, so tell us about it. Yeah, basically this is about a uh, jazz pianist and uh, who uh, has been always searching for his big, big break. He finally gets it and then promptly found, falls down a manhole and dies. <laughs> and now must uh, partner up with a wayward soul to make his way back to his body. It's voiced by Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey. And Pixar got my heart. And not to be cliche, they got my soul as well in this one because I absolutely adored this one. It resonates. It is such a great message about finding purpose. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's available on Disney Plus right now for everyone to check out. Interesting. Uh, Mike number four is called Promising Young Woman. Let's hear that clip. Every week I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, a nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. Wow. Interesting sound effects on, on, this, on the soundtrack, too. Tell us about this movie, Steve. Yeah, this is Carrie Mulligan in a performance that you've never expected out of her. Uh, she plays a woman that suffered some trauma earlier in her life and now uh, goes to clubs, pretends to be drunk so that the, the males that prey on her will pick her up and she makes them pay for it. This is uh, a straight gut shot to toxic masculinity, crappy dudes that prey on weak women and just horrible gaslighting. And uh, it is so effective. You will think about this movie long after the credits hit. Interesting. Number three on the list of the top 10 of 2020 is something called Mank, and that's somebody's nickname, isn't it? That's, that's it. That's uh, Herman Mankiewicz, uh, who is a screenwriter, uh, notably wrote Citizen Kane for Orson Welles, and Citizen Kane is uh, famously based on a real-life person, somebody that he made kind of an enemy of when he was doing this story, and that was Charles Randolph Hearst. Mm -hmm. And what a movie this is. Oh, Gary Oldman just delivers. Okay, and uh, number two on the list, and Mike's got a clip for this, so let's listen to a moment or two of I'm Thinking of Ending Things. We have a real connection, a rare and intense attachment. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Well, there you go. There's a title right there in yeah. that line. Who's saying that and why? Yeah, that's uh, Jessie Buckley. Uh, and her, her character is on her way to her boyfriend's house, uh, a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere, uh, for kind of that introduction, here's my girlfriend, and hopefully we'll spend the rest of our lives together. But she is kind of in an existential quandary as is this entire film which comes from the madman named charlie kaufman a guy responsible for movies like uh, adaptation being john malkovich and mm. connected in new york this movie is weird it's off the beaten path and and goes in directions uh that are a little unsettling at times and uh, definitely aiming to twist your brain right out of your skull 
and I loved every second of it. Okay, and uh, Steve's number one movie is The Sound of Metal. Mike, let's hear some of that. Your hearing is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, no. let's play tomorrow. Let's see what it's like, okay? I'm going to be like a click track. You can play to me. What's the sound of metal like? Yeah, basically this follows a former a former addict and current uh, drummer in an experimental rock band who is losing his hearing rapidly and has to come to grips with uh, with losing that sense, but has this uh, forlorn need for this experimental surgery that will give him back his hearing. And this movie is it's just incredible. Uh, Darius Marder, who wrote and directed it, and managed to put you inside the head of this of the, the main character as you audibly also lose your hearing without in, within the movie and, and the frustration of that. And I've never experienced anything quite like this film. And Riza met the lead actor in this one. Uh, I mean, shoot him to the top of the list for best actor because what a performance! Wow, thanks, Steve. You can find more from Steve Stebbings at on Twitter at the Steve Dead. Thanks for the top ten of 2020. Much appreciated. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.